Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Amen. Welcome to uh, Crosspoint, as Springer already has mentioned. My name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors here. This morning, we are going to be in the book of Joshua, starting in chapter 1. So go ahead and grab that. If you don't know, we do have Bibles in the uh, seats out in the uh, congregation. So if you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to grab one and flip through it. Joshua, it is the, uh, what is it, the fifth book of the Bible? The fifth. Fifth. Sixth? It's the fifth. Somewhere in there. It's pretty close to the front. You can find it. Um, So turn there to Joshua chapter one. Let me pray for us and ask the Lord to to meet us here this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, how you have gathered your people by it. You call us out. Uh, you, you call us to life. You make us alive by your word. And, uh, and then even now, as we gather around the scriptures, we know that we can hear from you. And I pray that you would attune our hearts, that we would be able to listen, that you would give us ears and eyes, that we might know and understand more of who you are, and that you might give us hope so that we can serve you in these days. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Joshua is a, is a really encouraging, hope-filled book. I don't know when the last time was that you have read it, but I'd encourage you to, to do that one of these days. It's one of those books that you can really plug through. There's a lot of really big narrative arcs in this book that uh, just have always, I think, encouraged God's people, especially as we consider ourselves to be uh, on some level, pilgrims in this world um, and strangers to this world. Uh, the book of Joshua is all about God's people inheriting the promised land, conquering Canaan, uh, fighting sin amongst themselves, and then renewing them, their commitment as a people to their covenant with the Lord. And so I, I think it's just, uh, I've been encouraged reading it. Um, here, though, at the beginning of this chapter, or at the beginning of this book, in this first chapter, uh, we're faced with a question. The people of God, rather, are faced with a question, which is, what do we do now that Moses is dead? So at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses gives his last final speech, his big final sermon to the people of God, to all of Israel. They hear it, they renew their covenant with the Lord. Uh, but then Moses, he fades out, And in comes somebody new, somebody different to lead God's people into the promised land. If you didn't know this, Moses never sets foot in the promised land. He doesn't make it. Uh, But the Lord implements and institutes somebody else to take his place and lead God's people. Moses is associated very much with the law of God, with the words of God, the leadership and authority of God. So when Moses dies and steps away... That's a really big conundrum for God's people. <laughs> what, what, what do we do now? Who's in charge here? And that's a really important question to get right at the outset. And so here in chapter 1, Joshua is established as Israel's new leader. And it's not just meant to establish Joshua, but it's, it's also meant to reassure God's people uh, of the Lord's sovereign providence overseeing the work of entering into their promise, uh, promised land. So let's read. I want to read. I'm going to take this kind of piecemeal. We'll split this chapter in half. Let's focus on the first nine verses. We'll make a few comments along the way, and then we'll continue with the rest of the chapter. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, 
Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, that's a river, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. You shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, this, this opening scene, I mean, it really sets the tone for the whole book. You see that, right? I mean, how many times... Does the Lord tell Joshua and, and by association all of Israel to be strong and courageous as they're about to embark on perhaps for all of these people the most difficult thing any of them had ever done or ever would do. Certainly the, the, the most uh, uh, faith necessary venture of any of their lives. Verses one through four, we get a comparison here between between Joshua's authority and the authority of Moses. Again and again and again, Moses' name is invoked. But there's this comparison then that's being set up between this guy who is decidedly not Moses and the one who has led Israel all the way up to this point. But then verses 5 through 9 do more than just compare Joshua's authority to Moses. Verses 5 through 9, as the Lord speaks to Joshua, it establishes Joshua's authority. If you have any doubts, if you have any questions about the legitimacy of Joshua, where he stands, his capability, his, his wisdom, his fitness for this task, the Lord puts all of that out of doubt when he speaks of and when, when he speaks to Joshua. It, it's interesting how the Lord's words even are, are, are arranged and organized. Verse 8 of this little aside that the Lord gives to Joshua, verse eight really stands right at the center of the Lord's instructions to him. And I wanna show you something I think is really helpful and just in the way that this whole paragraph is structured to give us an idea of, of some of the meaning here. So verse eight, at the center of it all, at the center of the Lord's instruction to Joshua is this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. That's right at the heart of Joshua's instructions. 
It's at the heart of what the Lord says to Joshua. This is at minimum what Joshua should be all about. Meditating on, ruminating on, cherishing, valuing, storing up the word of the Lord in his heart and in his mind. This is, this is the essence of Joshua's leadership and life, is that he would be oriented around the word of the Lord, the law of God. But then I want you to see how this little verse here is bracketed, not once, not twice, but actually three times with some, some, some echoes. There are some statements made before verse 8 that are also made after verse 8. There are statements made before that that are made after that. There are statements made before that that are made after that. And they help us to see in a sort of concentric circle kind of way just how all these things are connected. So bracketing verse 8 is part of verse 7 and part of verse 8, which says in two different places, be careful to do according to all the law, and then an echo that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. There's some parallel words here. They go together, and they come before verse 8, they come right at the end of verse 8. And they surround this idea that Joshua should be all about the word of God. Are you tracking with me? Are you guys with me? It's Sunday morning. I know that it's early. I know this is a lot, but I want you to see this because it's so helpful. All right? Hang in there. Bracketing verse 8, be careful to do what the law says. But then bracketing that in verses 9 and verses 7, he says to be strong and very courageous. And then again, be strong and courageous. And then surrounding that in verses 6 and verse 9, be strong and courageous. And then he says, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, which is just the flip side of that coin, right? But what, what brackets the whole thing? What envelops this whole idea of Joshua being strong, courageous, oriented around the word of the Lord and his faithfulness to it? What surrounds the whole thing? Verses 5 and 9. I will not leave you or forsake you. And then again in verse 9, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Do you see this? And this is a common common literary device found throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Bible. But it's a way of zeroing in, of giving a sort of emphasis, of connecting ideas that we may not have necessarily thought of together. And, And it works. You don't necessarily need to see these brackets to get the picture Here's the big idea. Why am I mentioning this? Joshua's success and prosperity as the heir to Moses, as the leader of God's people, it's all contingent on, it hinges on being a man of God's law, a man of God's word who meditates on it and follows it with strength and courage. But all of that, all of this, ultimately hinges on one thing which is the very presence of the Lord with his people. See, without God's presence here, this meditation, this obedience, this strength, this courage, all of it is just going to be kind of hollow. The Lord has to be among his people. The Lord has to be with Joshua. Joshua can do all of these things. He can memorize all of Deuteronomy, but apart from the Lord's presence, none of this is going to amount to anything. In fact, apart from the Lord's presence, Joshua himself is not going to be faithful enough and obedient enough to lead Israel into the promised land. We know for sure the Israelites aren't going to be up for that challenge. 
This includes the centrality of God's law and his word in Joshua's life. It includes Joshua's very obedience. And all of this, of course, is applicable not just to Joshua, but to all of Israel. They all depend on the presence of the Lord going with them, going before them, bringing up, stirring up this kind of faithfulness that they're expected to give. I want you to flash back with me to Numbers, where one of the, one of the first places where we meet Joshua. Go to Numbers chapter 14, starting in verse 5. See, Joshua has a really tall order, you understand, right? I mean, he is supposed to lead God's people into the promised land, conquering mighty warriors, foreign terrain. And this comes, of course, 40 years after the previous generation's utter failure to do this. Maybe you're not as familiar with the Bible. You know Israel has been at the gates of the promised land before. They have been here before. And they sent out spies into the land, and the spies, including among them Joshua and another man named Caleb, they go into the promised land and they scope everything out, and they get a sense of, of, of how well protected and defended all these cities and towns are. They get an idea of just how big and mighty the warriors are there, and they want to see just how, how possible it is for them to take over this land that the Lord has given them, that he has sworn to give them. But they're terrified. And in Numbers chapter 14, they come back with a really bad report. And all of Israel is, is shaken by this. Starting in verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron, they fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, that's, that's our Joshua, by the way, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes in outrage they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Verse 9, only, only do not rebel against the Lord. Israel, your job is so easy. Just, just don't rebel. Just, don't, just don't, don't say no. That's all you have to do. Don't, don't say no. Don't rebel. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Which, I mean, that's, that's a great line, by the way. Anyway, all right. Their protection is removed from them. Why? The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. See, the Lord even then is, is among them, and they can't see it. And it causes them to be utterly afraid, and they refuse to go into the promised land because they do not value, they do not rightly understand and cherish the presence of God that is among them. The Lord's presence was then, with them was not enough, and so they remained afraid. Something else here worth noting is the number of words that indicate totality. Verse 2, all this people. Verse 3, every place. Verse 4, all the land. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Verse 7, all the law. Verse 8, 
all that is written. Verse 9, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I want you to see everything, everything, the totality of what Israel is expected to do here, all of it, going into the promised land, the amount of promised land that they conquer, their hearts, their obedience, their love for the Lord, the Lord's presence with them, all of it hinges. The Lord's presence and Israel's faithfulness. If all of this is going to happen, it's going to be because the Lord is with them and because they follow the Lord. And hear what he has to say. Let's continue on in the text, starting and picking up in verse 10. Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days, you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. To the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. They also shall take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. And then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered, Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. I'm going to give you a little background here on the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. That's a common little, little trio of, of people groups among the Israelites that maybe you're not as familiar with. Let me help you understand. So in, in, in the Old Testament, leading up to this point, there were, there were a few groups, a few tribes, Reuben's tribe, Gad's tribe, and half, half of Manasseh that were really concerned with their livestock, really concerned with the land that they needed to, mabel, to let their cattle graze and all that. And they, when they, before they even cross the Jordan River, they get to this place and they say, you know, this actually might not be too bad. This might work for us. Like, we're fine right here east of the Jordan. We don't need to go west of the Jordan. We're fine right here. And, uh, of course, that's a big deal because the Lord promised them the land west of the Jordan. So they go to Moses, and they ask Moses about it. They say, what do you think about this idea? Moses says, uh, eventually, he, he gives his blessing to this notion. All right, you can, take, you can take this land here to the east of the Jordan, but you're not off the hook for God's people inheriting the land to the west of the Jordan. You can take this, but you still have to fight. You still have to defend. You still have to work together with the rest of Israel to inherit the rest of the promised land. You still, you, you, you have to be there for that. And they agree to it. But as you can imagine, this agreement was made with Moses. Not, not Moses. And so Joshua has kind of, there's kind of a test here of authority. There's a test here of the unity of Israel, of the willingness of every single Israelite to go and follow Joshua into the promised land. 
I made a deal with Moses. I didn't make any deal with Joshua. Moses likes to fight a certain way. I was fine with that. But Joshua, I don't really know. There's the potential here for everything to fall apart. Verses 10 through 11, Joshua goes before the Israelites. He goes before all of them, not just these tribes. And he says, here's the plan. You need to arrange your men, make sure they've got their supplies. In three days, we're going to cross over and we're going to go in and we're going we're to take what's ours. So Joshua, he starts to, to build on his authority. But you notice he's just relaying what the Lord has already told him. Joshua's already understanding, if I'm going to do this, I, gotta, I just got to lead off with what the Lord has said. And so he, he goes with that knowledge. But then verses 12 through 15, as I mentioned, his authority, we're meant to see in here a sort of test. Will Joshua be heard or not? And so Joshua, he goes before these, these men, these tribes, and he explains the situation. And he uh, himself, he appeals to Moses. He reminds them of the promise, the, the, the sworn deal that they had made with Moses. And of course, it's, it's interesting, he quotes scripture to them. Those words from Moses are ver- verbatim from, from Deuteronomy, I think somewhere in chapter 3. Once again, Joshua is seeing the importance of of delivering to the people of God the word of God. He's already been thinking about this and meditating on what the Lord has said. And so he, he brings before them this reminder from God's word. There's a temptation for them to reject Joshua. But even more, I want you to see, I want you to understand, there's a temptation for the Israelites to forget God's word and to ignore God's presence among them. That, that is what is at stake here. The problem, of course, is rejecting Joshua is rejecting God's word. Rejecting God's mouthpiece is rejecting God himself. I don't know if you've heard this. This is, this is a super, super practical application here. I've heard recently, uh, read recently, someone you know, mentioning that they, they, they listen to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit kind of supersedes the word of God. Or that, that the kind of call that the Lord might have on my life, that is actually more important than, than the word of God and, and has more authority than the word of God. But I hope you understand, maybe you've heard some similar statements or maybe you've kind of wondered that in, in, the, in your own heart. I hope you understand how silly that notion is though. All right, the, the word of God, yeah, it derives its authority from the one who's spoken it, from God Almighty. But just because the authority of God's word is derived from him doesn't make the authority of God's word less authoritative than him. Right? The authority of God's word is so authoritative and so meaningful and so powerful for us because of the authority of God. Which is why we can't ignore God's word in favor of whatever kind of touchy-feely thing we may think God is saying to us outside of his word. You understand that? You understand? That's kind of what's at stake here. Are they going to heed God's word and, and, by, and consequently, are they, are they going to hear the Lord? Are they going to follow him walking into the promised land? Well, we get a pretty, good, a pretty quick answer, and it's a resounding vote of assurance, vote of confidence. And verses 16 through 18, not just these three tribes, but I think all of Israel with them affirms Joshua's authority, and they bring up Moses because they feel like Joshua's authority is right 
right in step with that of Moses. You, you hear again the language of, of totality, of everything, all of the men of valor, all that you have commanded us, wherever you send us, just as we obeyed Moses in all things. And then they conclude, whoever rebels against whatever you command. All of them is needed for this. And once again, because of that, it all hinges on what we saw earlier, the presence of God with his people. They echo God's words to Joshua. They, they say once again, may the Lord your God be with you. They say once again, be strong and courageous. But you know, we, we know just how fickle Israel can be. We've seen how they get here, and I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but it really does not get much better after this either. The very next book of the Bible, Judges, is a mess because God's people utterly fail to heed his word and follow the people that he has appointed to lead them. And so truly, I mean, we know just with the vision of the future, we know that Joshua cannot rely on the Israelites, even their faithfulness, but he absolutely requires the word of the Lord and the presence of God. Now, okay, what was that when none of us are planning on conquering Canaan anytime soon? At least I hope not. Uh, you know, what, what does this have to do with us? How, how does this, where, where, how do we take this and work our way down to thinking in terms of just gospel implications? What in the world does this have to do with Jesus? What in the world does this have to do with Cross Point Church? Uh, and I, I think it's worth noting here that, that the original audience for this passage, the original audience for this book, though we might not realize it when we read it, the original audience is not Joshua, right? Joshua didn't need to read Joshua chapter 1. He, he had been there and done that. Uh, the Israelites who, who were there pre-promised land, they, they didn't have Joshua chapter 1. This wasn't written for them. Now, the, the, the original audience for this book was likely among like, the very first generation to live in the promised land. This is a history book. It tells God's people what happened. It interprets for them the meaning of what took place. But it's also meant to instruct God's people for how they are to live going forward. What does this mean for us right now? Here's how we got to the promised land. But here's how we're going to live in the promised land. Here's how, here's how we're going to maintain and cultivate the promised land. And more than that, here's how we walk in the fullness of God's ever-unfolding, ever-expanding promises. You remember, God's promise to Abraham in Genesis wasn't just a land. It wasn't just a place. But it was that he would have a, a numerous Nation come from his family tree, greater than the stars of heaven, greater than the sand on the shore. And not only would there be a nation and even kings coming from the line of Abraham, but, but this nation is supposed to be a blessing to all the nations. In some way, Israel, God's people, is meant to become a blessing to the entire world. That, too, is part of the promise of God to Abraham, the promise that the Israelites here are, are, are waiting to see fulfilled and unrolled before their eyes. 
And, and it was the promise of God's people reading Joshua then. And it's the promise of God's people reading Joshua now. Joshua believed God's word. He meditated on God's law. He faithfully followed the Lord with strength and courage, but it was the Lord's presence that upheld him. And this has always been the case for God's people. From the garden, where God walked with Adam and Eve, to Revelation, where God himself is the shining center of the new heavens and new earth. God's people have always needed his presence. God's people have always longed for his presence. God's people thrive only when they are in his presence. And when you are out of God's presence, that is when bad things happen. That is when the curse takes place and you're thrown out of Eden or out of the promised land, as would eventually happen. But God is always All of scripture is about bringing his people into his presence. And all of this, I hope you're seeing it, all of this is fulfilled and and really not just fulfilled, but expanded. I mean, it goes beyond our wildest dreams, certainly beyond what Joshua himself may have even thought. All of this is fulfilled in Christ. All of it. Turn with me to to Joshua, or excuse me, to John chapter 1. I don't remember when we started our series on John. Maybe you you missed John chapter 1. We're going to read John chapter 1 here for a second. Starting in verse 1, this is what John, the gospel writer, says In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skip down with me to verse 14. The word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus is the word made flesh. God with us. Another, another, uh, an actual word to summarize that idea, God with us, Emmanuel, right? This is is Isaiah's prophetic expectation that God would send someone to be among God's people. And it wouldn't just be like some sort of representative. No, but it would be God himself to dwell among his people. See, Joshua measured up to Moses. We get that. Uh, You read the rest of Joshua. It concludes when Joshua dies, Joshua, a servant of the Lord. And that's what Moses got called in chapter 1. And Joshua finally, at the very end, as he dies, he, he gets that title too. 
Because Joshua lives up to the expectations. Joshua, even in some ways, kind of exceeds the expectations of Moses. Joshua measures up. But neither Joshua nor Moses measure up to who Jesus is. These are godly men. They did great things. But none of them hold a candle to the bright burning torch that is the Son of God, God in the flesh. Jesus is the Word of God. He is God's Word to us in human flesh. But he's also the presence of God. Joshua couldn't be both of those things. He couldn't be either of those things. At best, he could be in God's presence and meditate on God's word and relay these things, reflect these things to God's people. But Jesus is both in one person. Jesus is the faithful one. But Jesus is also the steward of God's promises. You see that? Jesus doesn't just walk in faith and obedience, but he's, he's the one who upholds the promises that God Almighty has made. He's not just saying, yes, I believe, I will follow the Lord, but he's saying, I, I, I myself, and, and part of all of this going on, I, I myself as the son of God am his agent in this world. I, Jesus, is the source, he is the yes to all of God's promises. And Joshua, he, he could be faithful, but he was imperfect. And he certainly has no power to fulfill the promises of God himself. Jesus, he, he's both Because Jesus is God with us, because Jesus is Emmanuel, we, his people, right now, can follow his word and inherit salvation, eternity, the very kingdom of God, with courage and strength. In John chapter 14, verses 6 through 7, Jesus, he responds to a concern that Thomas has has laid out, Thomas being one of his disciples, and Jesus tells him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Catch verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. that's, That's a bold statement to make if you're not really sure it's true. But Jesus, he knows who he is. He reveals who he is to us. And it turns out that if you've looked at him, you have seen his father. It turns out if you have heard Jesus say anything, you have heard from heaven itself. It turns out that Jesus isn't just some sort of representative of God in this world. It turns out that Jesus is the very voice of God. Not just a messenger, he's the message. This is, this is what we need. This is what God's people have always needed. Now, what, what does this mean for us? I've got two little points of, of application here. What does this mean for us? This means that the exhortation that we find repeated again and again in Joshua 1 to be strong and courageous, 
Uh, that org- exhortation, that's all about Jesus. It's not about you or me or any of us. It's all about Jesus. It all, it all hangs on him. It's all fueled by him. See, God's presence in the person of Jesus yields faithfulness to God's word and boldness to follow him. That's the order of things. That's how this works. Joshua can't just stir up boldness and strength and courage in and of himself. And maybe for some situations where he already feels somewhat confident or capable to deal with and handle things, but not for everything, not across the board. And at best, he might just be kind of a jerk. Now, but, but Jesus, if you, if you are in the presence of God in Jesus Christ, if you know him personally, and then then arises faithfulness to his word. Then arises boldness and obedience to follow him. Ephesians 6.10 tells us, this is an exhortation from Paul. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord, not yourself, not your wit, not your wisdom, not your looks, not your ability to string along words in a coherent way. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, it's kind of the other side of that, but I want you to see this. Paul says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified by your own strength and courage. Oh wait, that's not, that's not it. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, this is the Lord's doing. This is something the Lord does. There's a danger of being known for boldness, but not Christ-likeness. Because you can be bold externally and courageous externally without even knowing the Lord. But what Joshua was called to, what the Israelites were called to, what we ourselves are called to, when we see this phrase again and again, be strong and courageous, what we're called to is to first be in the presence of the Lord. To meditate on his word, to know him and, and, and love and cherish and obey his word, his law. And in the midst of all that, don't you see where then strength and courage come from? Because we're not drawing on the well of ourselves. We're drawing on a well that is infinite, which is the Lord himself, the Lord who goes with his people and the Lord who has revealed himself to his people through his word. Being strong and courageous doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It happens as we walk in the Lord's presence. It happens as we follow Christ according to his word. And I think it's worth noting here just the critical role, the critical importance that, that every local church has of having godly leaders who love the word of God. 
That's, that's super applicable. Uh, Crosspoint, we have, we have 12 elders. Some of them are on staff. I'm one of those. Tyler's one of those. Springer's one of those. Brad's one of those. And then we also have eight other men who are members of our church who love the Lord and value his word. That, that, that outside, I mean, underneath the, 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 the headship and authority of Christ, that's how our church is, is led and directed. Now, maybe, maybe, you know, you're visiting for the first time. You're like, I don't know any of this, and I'm not really sure if this really matters to me that much. Oh, but it matters so much, right? Because, because God's church, God's people, we have to be oriented around his word. And, and I'm so thankful for the, for the men that the Lord has given us that, that we as a church have recognized and said, hey, these are the men who, who, who help, help lead us and, and help make decisions and, and do difficult things and easy things and fun things and hard things. They do it out of a love for the word of God, out of a desire to be obedient to the Lord and with the strength and boldness that only comes from being in God's presence. That's the only way that works because we're sinners we have hobby horses. We, we ourselves can be distracted by the things of this world. But we need to be rooted in his word. Look, if you're a member of Crosspoint and you don't know who, the, who, who your elders are of this church, man, I, before you even get home today, pull out your phone, go to our website, look under the About tab, look under the elders and deacons and staff, and, and see who these men are. Some of them have pictures, some of them don't have pictures yet. That's on me. But you should know their names. You need to know their names, and I hope you know their faces more than that. Um, because this is how God's people are shepherded and led and cared for. By his word, through faithful men. Uh, like, like, like these guys, like Joshua. This is an essential trait of not just godly leadership in a church, but, but also, and I'm not going to get into this, but an essential trait of like a, a godly husband. Godly leader in a home. Like, men, you should be about the word of God. It should be your food. You should want to be in the presence of God, going before him in prayer, hearing from him. It's never, it's never too late. Like, it's never too late to then lean into that, by the way. And ladies, as you're, as you're looking for that guy, this is what you should be looking for, is a guy who, who, who basks in, in the presence of God and yields to the word of God. There's freedom and rest that comes from leaning on the word of God, right? You can, you can say, well, well, he said it. God said it. This is what the Lord has given his people in his word. This is what the Lord has given us people in the scriptures. And so we go to the word to remember the Lord's presence and to remember the Lord's promises that he has made, to be reminded of his faithfulness. Number two here, our faithfulness hinges on Christ's faithfulness. All right? Being strong and courageous, that's all about Jesus, not really about us at all. But even our faithfulness hinges on the faithfulness of Christ preceding it all. Verse 5 is, uh, is just so, is so powerful of a statement, and we see it in, in the Old Testament in places like this. He says, I will not leave you or forsake you. The Lord's not going anywhere. Joshua may be shaken in his boots, but the Lord's like, I'm not leaving. 
I'm not going anywhere. Just trust me. Follow me. That word forsake. That's, that's a familiar word. Uh, turn, turn with me to Matthew 27, 46. About the ninth hour, this is Jesus' crucifixion scene. Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He said, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani? Which is a question meaning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the Lord was forsaken, because Jesus was forsaken, verse 5 of Joshua chapter 1 is true for us, that we can never be forsaken, that God's people will never be forsaken. Jesus took that upon himself at the cross. And it's not only a promise that, that, that will never be forsaken, but it's also an assurance, a promise too, that Jesus goes with us wherever he sends us. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the great commission, Jesus came and he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, right? His word. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I told you this is a theme of all of scripture. The presence of God mediated through the word of God among the people of God. This, this is our inheritance. I want to redirect back to Joshua chapter 1, verse 6 once again. I want to look at that verse. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. The Lord tells Joshua, you will cause this people to inherit the land. See, there, there's Joshua's faithfulness. That's, that's where that's going to get them. Inasmuch as Joshua is faithful, he will cause the people of Israel to inherit the promised land. Frankly, it really doesn't even depend a whole lot on the Israelites being this perfect band of soldiers. Joshua doesn't even have to have any real military might. But it's his faithfulness. It is, it, it is Joshua's work that is going to lead them into the promised land. Then the second half of that, the promised land, what, what kind of land? The land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Joshua's faithfulness works hand in hand with God's own promises and faithfulness. Joshua's not just seizing land. The Israelites aren't just going to take this because they want it. They're going to take it because the Lord has promised it. And they'll only get so far as their faithfulness will We'll take them. You know, I, I mentioned before Israel's fickleness, and we are certainly at times just like them. But what if, what if our hope is in someone who is absolutely rock solid, whose faithfulness never wavers, whose promises never fade? This is our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He does the work. He makes it happen. And just like Joshua is the one who's going to bring Israel into the promised land, man, our salvation, even our faithfulness, which I hope you understand, our faithfulness is, is absolutely wrapped up in our salvation, right? We're, we're, we, we trust in the Lord, we follow him, and, and we go down this path, and, 
and it yields in the long run salvation, but even in this moment, we're transformed, we're changed. We're made more and more into the image of, of what we will fully and finally be. But all of that, all of it, from start to finish, is the work of the Lord. How often do we see the Lord's faithfulness as dependent on ours? Brothers and sisters, I, I want to relieve you of that burden. The Lord does not need your faithfulness for him to be faithful to you. The Lord doesn't need your strength for him to be strong. Right? You, you didn't initiate your salvation. You're, you're in and of yourself, you're not going to cross this finish line on your own either. But if the Lord is with you, if, if you, if you cherish and value his word, even if you're not perfectly adhering to it, and that's, that's how the Lord brings us all the way in to the promises that he's made. It's absolutely foolish to live as though God is not 100% for his people. So the question remains, will you follow Jesus' lead? Will you stand in his presence? Will you, will you cherish his word, meditating on it day and night? And in that, will you walk with boldness and obedience to the promises of God? Let's do that as his people. Let me pray. Father, we are we're humbled, or we should be humbled by your incredible faithfulness, your, your presence among us. That's, that's our life. That is the air that we breathe. That is the water that we drink. That is what sustains us. That is the only thing that will enable us to inherit the promises of eternity. That we would come before you and, and, for, and, and deny ourselves, even, even despair of our own ability, because we're fickle, we're sinful. We're inept. But you've sent your son that he might lead us by his faithfulness to inherit the promises that you have made to us, not the least of which is the very salvation that you've called us to in Christ. Lord, yes, may we despair of our own strength. May we despair even of our own faithfulness as though we can, we can arm wrestle you into fulfilling what you have sworn to do. But instead, Father, would we lean on you? Would we walk in your presence? Would we cherish your word and Meditate on it, seeing it for what it is, the very, very life of our bones. And help us to follow you with obedience as a result of all of that. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.